0: What we're going to talk about today, and encouragement in some ways is calling back to life people that are dying inside, little by little. It's the second of the six marks or qualities of a one another community. This community where the triune God comes down to earth and he lives within a family or on a team or um, in an organization or a church, small group. Encouragement, as I said, is the second one. The first one uh, is acceptance. So I touched on that last week, and you have graciously written emails back to me. So thank you for that, <laughs> most of you. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. It does take a portion of the week, but I appreciate it because uh, it helps me to clarify uh, where we are to, uh, hearing the feedback. Um, When our kids were small, uh, they would occasionally get into a fight, and depending on how bad it was, we would send them to their rooms. Was that just my kids? Uh, And we would let them cool off, and then we would go in the room, and, and we would try to negotiate, try to sort it all out. Well, on occasion, what we found out is when they were in the room by themselves, all alone, Uh, they would talk to themselves, and soon after, they would listen to themselves, and then a little later, they would start believing themselves, and so by the time we got in the room, they were quite entrenched in their uh, points of view, and uh, we would realize now was not the time to sort it out, And uh, we would come back out, and Lori and I would sit down in the living room and we would have the conversation that all parents have had. We must be bad parents. We cannot sort this out between our kids. So we'd wait a little bit longer, and then we would go in there. And as I say, depending on how angry one was at the other, one of them would blurt something out like, I just wish that he wasn't my brother. Now, because I'm a preacher and not a counselor, I did not try to drill into the feelings of these things. The conversation that I had with them went something like this, too bad. (laughs) They are. You got the same daddy, you got the same mama, you live in the same house, you eat at the same table. That's just the way it is. You didn't vote to get into this family. You can't vote your brother out. You can't vote him off the island. It ain't your island. And you don't get a vote. So I recommend that you get more acquainted with your sister because you're going to see a lot more of her in the future. In fact, you're going to see your brother long after all your friends are gone. Now, I can't say it worked, but I can say that as they matured, all our dreams have come true. Um, Our kids are really, really good friends to this day. Uh, No one can make Nicholas laugh like Ashley, and there's probably no one in the world Ashley trusts more than she trusts her brother. According uh, to the Bible, if I read the New Testament right, there is no way into the family of God except to be born into it. It's not a decision that individuals make. It's a miracle that God performs in the heart of an individual. It says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the Right to become children of God. Now wait for the rest of the language. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision. They're born of God. If we get that wrong, we get everything in theology wrong after that. We come into the family of God because we are born of God. That's how it starts. Now, on occasion, the people in the family of God will fight. Depending on how much they fight, they will go to their rooms. And when they get in their rooms, they start talking to themselves. And then they start listening to themselves. And soon after, they start believing themselves. And they won't let anybody in their rooms except people who are like themselves. And when the father comes in to sort it out, and he can't because we are so deeply entrenched in our ideologies and in our ethnicities, I wonder if he has a conversation with the triune God. Does he ever doubt his parenthood? There might be times when people in the church just drive you crazy. Am I talking to anybody right now? These are Christians. They know Jesus, I think. But man, they are a pain in the neck. Maybe I am that person for you. And you might come to a point where you would say to God, I wish they weren't my brother or my sister. And uh, if you would let the father into your room, he might say something like this. Too bad. They are. You see, you got the same daddy. You got the same mother. The church. You live in the same house, the faith, and you eat at the same table. That's just the way it is. I suggest that you get more acquainted with your brother or sister who you don't like. Because truth is, you're going to see a lot more of them in the future. In fact, you're going to be spending time with them long after your friends are gone. See, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. When you're born into the family of God, you are brother and sister. Like it or not. We let me stop. When Jesus said to us, Who is my mother, my brother, and my Sisters, do you understand, church, he was redrawing the lines of a family. Let me say it for you a little bit differently. He was building ties with mortals and between mortals that rival, if they don't surpass, the ties between a mother and her child. He was saying, in effect... Your new family are those who do the will of your father. That's who the family is. It's not the people we like. It's the people who've been placed into faith with us through the miracle of new birth. Yeah. So we we probably spend too much time on acceptance Wondering whether or not we like someone, but I think if we would spend less time waiting to like somebody and just practice the other five things, we might back into accepting them. Say, I don't like them. I agree. They're a pain. You're right. So instead of fighting them, why don't you encourage them? Why don't you learn from them? Why don't you confess and forgive them? Why don't you serve them and carry their burdens? And why don't you pray for them? And if you did this maybe enough times and long enough, you'd wake up one day and realize you'd accepted people. So rather than say, well, I got to wait to accept people before I do the other five, I'm saying do the other five, and you might back into accepting them. And that's a very good thing. All right, are you with me so far? So then, how do we encourage people? Think of two or three people right now uh, in your life. You might need to just put your head down, and think for a second. Who are two or three people that you live with, you work with, that you think they need encouragement. I'll wait. Every day, maybe once a week, you'd see them. think that person's sort of down. They need encouragement. You got their, got their picture in your mind? Well, when we encourage somebody, we are speaking courage into that person. That's all the word means. It means to courage in, to plant courage inside of another person, So they got a whole bunch of things happening inside of them right now, but when we encourage them, we speak into those things. Now, in the New Testament, there are several different words that are used. It's kind of, uh, there's a collection of words that are used to describe encouragement. One of these words uh, literally means to come alongside somebody. So now, you're not standing behind them and just shouting affirmations at them, you're actually walking with them in the journey. Another one of the words means literally to urge someone forward. It's kind of interesting because most of us think of encouragement as simply lifting somebody up, but what the word literally means is no, you're moving somebody forward. You're not just lifting them up. Another word literally means to build a house inside of someone. So now, we're not talking just about making somebody feel better. We're talking about planting something inside the soul of a person that is concrete. It's tactile. You can almost see the difference when it's done. Another word in the New Testament for encouragement literally means to, uh, uh, um, what's a good word? Uh, To irritate. Some of us have that gift. But in a positive way, it means to stimulate something. It means to stir something up so that when you say it, it just triggers a reaction. Are you with me so far? So I'm not just talking about words that affirm somebody who are down for the moment. No, no, when you listen to the language in the New Testament, you start to hear a direction. You hear a purpose. There's a vision of something bigger behind the person that you're encouraging. And you're hearing an intentionality over time. I'm saying things, I'm doing things, I am modeling things that is, that is moving this person in the direction of something. So what is this direction is the question. Well, when you get into the New Testament, you find out it is almost always the direction of Christ. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to know Christ And the power of his resurrection. He says that we might be conformed to the image of him who is firstborn among many. It's Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. No, wait, yet not I. It is Christ who lives. In me, so the house that we're building and the direction that we're moving people toward is Christ. So when someone is encouraged, they're not just affirmed so they feel better, they're actually stirred up to go forward in the direction of Christ. There is an image of Christ being fully formed inside of them. Am I just talking to myself? There is an intentionality to encouragement. It can't be done randomly. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It means when he took hold of me, he had an image in his mind of the way I was gonna look when he was done with me. And on his fridge in heaven, do they have them? He has a picture of me before and after. He's done. And every time he encourages me, He pushes me forward to that picture of after Christ has been fully formed in me. So, there is an intentionality and a focus to the things that Jesus says to me. Time out. Question. Go back to all the talk in your family, in your small group, on your team, in your office, and ask yourself what percentage of all the talk in one day's time has that level of intentionality? the person talking knows exactly what he's trying to do, and he knows how to do it, and he does it continuously, day after day. Take a moment and give yourself a percentage. Is it 10% of all talk in my office or in my group has that level of intentionality? Is it 20, 50, is it 80%? Say, I'm from a monastery, it's 90%. My hunch is that in most cases, it's well below 25%. Most of the conversation that takes place in small groups, offices, or on teams has to do with the issues of that day. They do not often penetrate the soul of an individual. So it cannot release. It simply deals with the issues of the day. And that isn't wrong. It's just that a person cannot be encouraged unless that is happening somewhere in the day. Still there? What I've just said to you in slow motion is that if we want to change or transform the families that we live in or the small groups that we attend or the offices where we work, or the teams that we belong to, listen, we will have to get hold of the language that is spoken there. Let me say it differently. All transformation, sooner or later, comes down to language. All transformation is... Linguistic. If I want to change the personality of a group, I have to get hold of the conversations that they're having. They have to have other conversations, conversations that bring life and create new opportunities. If we transform the way people talk and listen to one another, we change the relationship entirely. So we have to learn to speak better than we speak. Paul said, speaking the truth in love. We grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. But we do it by speaking the truth in love. Paul said, put off falsehood and speak truthfully one to another. For you belong to one another. Paul said, "Do not let any unwholesome, the word literally means rotting. Don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building one another up, for building a house inside of another person." Paul said, "Let your conversation be always full of grace." seasoned with salt. So it's effective in the... Do, 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 do you hear what he's saying? There is an intentionality in the way that the apostle speaks to people. I had a, uh, I've had got a file in my office. Um, and I, whenever somebody sends either an email or a note... And it's really encouraging. And they say, man, you're doing a great job. You know, I put it in a file. Uh, and so now after 38 years of ministry, I have I have three notes in this file. I have a few more than that, but I, um, I made a vow to myself, you know, early on. I said, I'm not going to look at these things until I'm old and crusty and I forget who I am and forgot what I was doing. And then when I'm like, you know, 106, I'm going to go open this file. And I'm going to start reading these notes and go, oh, man, that's what I was doing. Oh, that feels so good. Well, last year, about this time, I broke my promise. I was curious as to why some people's notes got saved and others did not. And so I opened the file and I started rifling through them and I started reading the notes. It wasn't long before I noticed a pattern in the way people spoke when they encouraged me. Can I tell you what I noticed? I'm gonna, so just say yes. One is I noticed that their message was timely. They had a sense of what was happening inside of me. They weren't just saying, that boy, great job, love you for this. They knew what was happening in my life, and they delivered a message at the right moment. Two is I noticed a gravitas. The notes that I kept were written by people with a spiritual gravitas. They not only knew me, they knew God. And I knew that they knew God. So I felt that when they said these things, they were, in the words of Peter, um, speaking as though God himself was talking through them. Third, I noticed they had a resonance. They identified something in me that I valued, that I wanted to become. But here's what I noticed. What I wanted to become matured over the years. So when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be great. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you were great. Oh, oh. circle, you know. Best preacher ever. Oh, zero, 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 zero. But as I got older, I wanted to be like Christ. So now the notes that I started keeping were, when you did that, it was as if Jesus was right there. That's like, I was talking to him. I started thinking oh, oh. <laughs> and four they were futuristic one of them was my dad I was 35 years old he wrote a letter that said um I've tried to do this this and this and this but Here's what I've been praying for you, son, and here is what God is going to do. And he spoke prophecy. God is going to make you a better man. Really? Ah, sure. Yeah, well, you have nothing to do with it. God is going to make you a seeker after his own heart. You watch him. You see it? He spoke future to me. So then I started asking myself, this is why offices or teams can be filled with language and the stuff that they say just bounces off? Because the words that we're saying are shallow or they're temporary and short lived. They're not life giving. They don't penetrate the core of the individual. Asking myself, um, is there a way to learn how to encourage people? That was a note. To self is this is a learned behavior. This is not just a commitment. It's a learned behavior. I can get better at this over time. And what I discovered was that the people who spoke words of life into me followed a sequence which I call ALDS, asked, they listened. They discerned and then they spoke. It was a sequence. Most conversations in your house or in your small group migrate toward the questions that people are asking if they're asking why tom brady always beats the colts sorry about that the conversations will migrate towards football if they're asking how are we going to get this project done the conversation will drift toward logistics it occurred to me that part of our problem is we don't ask good questions on a daily basis now hang with me i'm not suggesting that you meet people at the door tomorrow and say how is it with your soul dude they're going to think you either joined a monastery or you got a degree in counseling But I am suggesting that there should be a place and a time inside of your circle where these kinds of conversations come up. There's a regular place and a regular time where people ask about the spiritual nature of a person. Then we can fill that time with better questions. What is God saying to you lately? What keeps you from doing that? If you were to do that, what might be the first step? Who are you going to tell? Where do you see God at work? What do you think he wants us to do to be where he is at? Work. These are different questions. Then the ability to listen well. I'm a preacher. Preachers preach. This is one of the reasons I don't counsel. When someone starts saying, here's the problem, I think in terms of sermons. Oh, I got a text for that. Wait a minute. There it is right there. You see it? And so what I learned is that listening is hard work. And I know when I'm listening well, it's because I don't know where the conversation is gonna go. I'm listening well when I don't know the next question I'm gonna ask. But when I just sit there and run the questions like a good therapist, I'm not really listening. I'm not listening when I interrupt. I'm not listening when I pigeonhole their words into my advice. I have one size fits all. I'm not listening well when I do that. So I'm learning, at least in my life, that I need to be more intentional. Uh, You really kind of... Ambivalent from one moment to the next as the conversation proceeds. And then I need to be able to ask myself, what is really happening in this situation? Is the person inside hurt? Are they, um, are they afraid? Are they exhausted? That word is fatigue if you don't read hieroglyphics. Are they full of doubt? See, you don't normally ask these questions of people. I just think, wow, this has taken a long time. And then, then, once I have discerned what is happening, I can use my knowledge of Scripture to say words of life. Let me say that one more time a little differently. Nobody cares what I have to say. But I've noticed when I quote scripture, it just goes off. This is one great reason to have devotions in the morning, not the only one, but it's really nice because you're programming your mind. And so in the mornings, if you have words from the Lord and you think of people, simply text the passage to them or simply call them on the phone or send them an email and say, I was just reading today, had this passage thought of you, boom, let it go. Let it go. You don't need to dive into it. But the more familiar you become in the language, it, what is shocking is that preachers don't do this. We resort to our own words. No. Not the words of Scripture. But the Scripture has a gravitas. Okay, Steve, shut up. A couple... Uh, Months ago, I was here in the office, and this works is what I'm trying to say, um, and there was a knock on the door. A couple guys were there, and they came in to talk about football, and I was always uh, eager to talk about that, and so that conversation went on and on for a long time, and finally all of a sudden, one of the, one of the guys said to me, um, preacher, preacher. I got a question for you. Say, um, say I got a, a friend who is doing everything right and God has abandoned them. What would you say to them? I said, what? What is he doing? He listed a bunch of things. And I said, why does he feel abandoned? He said, because he's always there for God. He's serving God. He sacrifices for God. He's been a Christian his entire life. And now when he prays, it feels like um, God ain't even listening. What would you tell him to do? I said, "Um, I... uh, had a time in my life, sir, when I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with that very question. What question? I said, my question is, where are you, God? I've done everything you asked me to do, and you're nowhere to be seen. We read your Bible like a cookbook, and it didn't work. And to be honest with you, I'm a little tired of it. And at 2.30 in the morning, we had at it. He said, oh, my goodness, have you been listening to my conversations at 2:30 in the morning? I said, "Ah, oh, you don't have a friend?" <laughs> what would you tell me to do? I said, "I would tell you to double down." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Are you familiar with the 23rd Psalm?" He said, "I am." I said, are you familiar with it enough to know where in the psalm the pronoun changes? He said, I do not know. I said, think about it a minute. Where does he stop talking about God and start talking to him? And you could watch him. He's doing it with his lips. He's going, wait, in the valley of the shadow of death. he started talking to God in the valley of the shadow of death. I said, do you think it's possible that those times in our life when we're sure he's the farthest away might be the times when he's actually the closest? So rather than believe he's far away, why don't you believe what he said <laughs> and know that he is close to you? Double down. Don't run from him. Run at him. He said, Preacher, do you think God comes to earth today and still talks to people? (laughs) Yes, sir, I do. Yes, I do. I believe in your life, like there is in mine, every single week, multiple conversations, which if we asked better questions... We listened in between the answers. We discerned what was really happening. And we spoke words of life. We could raise people from the dead. Would you bow your heads? Take a moment and think about the conversations that fill the place where you work. How many of them, what percentage, are genuinely encouragement? Think about the two to three people that you named at the beginning of this message. And what those people Looked like once Jesus is fully formed in them. Imagine their personality, their gravitas, their vision, their wisdom. Imagine how stable their lives are, how confident they are. Imagine them. Then ask yourself, Which of these habits, asking, listening, discerning, and speaking, are easiest for me, and which ones are the hardest? Where do I have work to do?